0: So there is a famous Yiddish proverb that says, man plans and God laughs. So I want you to think of a recent time when God changed your well-laid plans. Just think about something this past week, this past month, you had something in mind, and things did not go as you had planned. How's that feel? Feels different. Things didn't turn out exactly what we had in mind. Now, I want you to think about something that hasn't yet happened, that you're in the midst of planning. I want you to think about something that's coming up. Those of you with children, it might be spring break plans. Those of you who are, you know, we mentioned spring is here on the way, something, maybe some spring cleaning, something that you're in the midst of planning. And I want to think about how you would describe your approach or process of planning to someone else. How do you go about making your plans? Because that's what we're going to talk about today is how do we make our plans? And James in his book describes God's prescription or prescriptive guidance for how to make plans. The big idea for our message today is that for us to understand and develop a greater dependency on God, especially how it relates to how we plan and live out our lives. We will see how God desires us to make plans and how our plans can only succeed if we acknowledge him first and he allows those plans to succeed. At the end of our time today, we'll have learned to be humble, admit more often and openly that we don't really know what's gonna happen. We'll have learned that if we need to have a new first step in our approach to planning, it's called the if the Lord wills step. And lastly, we'll learn to be ready to do good at all times, especially in unplanned circumstances. So buckle up. Um, Many of you are familiar with my teaching style, it is quite rapid. Uh, I am looking to, I have a different plan today. If the Lord allows, it will be a little slower. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're many weeks into a sermon series about faith in action from the New Testament book of James. We've been growing in our godly wisdom each, each week, and we've discovered that this godly wisdom James wrote about really helps us as followers of Jesus. For those of you who are still discovering that, it also has a lot to offer for you as well. Last week, Pastor Brian shared how we fight from the heart God's in our corner and how we're able to deliver the knockout punch as we wrestle with whether we want to follow God's ways or not. Next week, Phyllis is going to be sharing with us about our dependency on God for our means of living and give a bit of a stern warning about what happens if we pursue wealth on our own without having it come from God. What does it mean to be wealthy and to follow his ways? Now, I'd ask you right now to please turn with me in your Bible or if you have a Bible app on your phone to the book of James chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 13 and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Actually, I will read to the end of the chapter. That is verse 17. It'll be up on the screen. You can follow along as well. James starts in verse 13. He says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist. That appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through these verses, um, kind of one verse at a time. We'll understand what they mean, and then we'll, at the end, kind of walk through three ways we can apply it to our lives. So we start in verse 13, and James starts with this little phrase, now listen. It actually is really drawing your attention. It's a pivot point where he's like, look here, or come on. It's this idea of paying special attention to what I'm going to share. I want you to go back to your days as a child, or those of you who who are not yet adults, your your parents. Do you remember when your parents were like, I really want your full attention right now. Like, look at me. Eyes on me if you're a coach, right? Those are the things that we say. Or how many of us as parents are doing those same things to our children, right? There's a sense of, this is what James is doing. Pay attention. This is really important. Don't miss out. That's what he says. He's gonna, I'm going to share something you don't want to miss out on. So he continues in that next part of verse 13, and he says about people, he says, some people, they say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to this or that city spend a year there, carry on business and make money. So James is describing in that day and age, there was people who would develop business plans for some, especially for some sort of new endeavor. Think of it almost like a startup, right? A startup has some sort of startup date. You have a date in there today or tomorrow. There's a location, this or that city. There's a duration, we're gonna do it for a year. Hopefully we'll get some funding, right? And there's a purpose, right? The purpose here is to carry out some sort of trading to make a certain amount of money or profit. So it's a really good business plan, right? This, this is what James is talking about. And if you think about those who are familiar with business plan, James is pretty familiar. He has the who, the what, the when, the where, the how, and the why. He's got it all covered Out. It's a great plan. But we're, what we're saying here is James is aware that he's not speaking against the idea that making plans are bad. In fact, God is the one who designed making plans, especially ones that are well-constructed. James was very familiar with the Old Testament. He had been taught that by Jesus and by the rabbis at that time. And there was verses in the Old Testament that talked about how God invented the idea of planning and is an advocate for us to do good plans. We read in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, it says the plans of the diligent, those of us who are planners like diligent planning, right, lead to what? Profit. Profit's a good thing. As surely as haste leads to poverty, right? You've heard the expression like your emergency, like your emergency is not my disruption, right? Like you should really have planned for this. We also read in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18, it says, plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. Like, So if you're going to go into battle, you're going to do something, making a plan for battle is a really good idea. So James is not being critical of planning, but rather the approach to the plans. The problem was not what was in the plan. The problem was what was missing from the plan. Nowhere in this plan is there any acknowledgement of a God in the plan. There's no declaration that there's a God, that we need to think of him, we need to depend on him. It is a plan that, for all intents and purposes, was drawn up as if God never even exists. Or if he did exist, he wasn't important enough or relevant enough to be incorporated into our plans. He would slow things down. The key ingredient, or should we say the key person missing from the plan, was God. It was as if this plan was developed independent of him, rather than dependent of him, as a plan that was drawn up on our human wisdom and the limitations that that has, rather than drawn up on godly inspiration and all the benefits that that brings to us. James was reiterating back to Proverbs there's a God's paradigm for planning found in Proverbs 16, verse 9. It says, In their hearts, or in my heart, right, I plan. Humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes the steps. Now, we continue on to verse 14 the beginning of verse 14, James explains how we don't even know what's gonna happen tomorrow. Now to plan, well, you gotta know what's gonna happen tomorrow, right? Like who knows what's best, who's the designer of tomorrow would be the question that we'd start to ask ourselves. And if we uh, we think back to last Sunday, I want you to think back a week ago even. This last Sunday, what were you planning on doing this week that didn't pan out? What's something you were hoping to get done this week that now is pushed off to this week? What was something that, and that's the way our lives kind of pan out, right? We have this list of things we want to get done, whether they're project plans for a longer time or even something as simple as a shopping list. You go somewhere, they don't even have it at the store, right? You got to get a rain check. Or they weren't even given rain checks out on COVID. It was like, all right, come back another time. We remember even looking for toilet paper, right, at that time, not finding it. So when James mentions the idea of knowing about tomorrow here, he's referring to being acquainted with something. He's basically saying, look, you have no idea. You're not even acquainted with tomorrow and what it's going to bring. And he probably remembered back to when Jesus was teaching. He's like, oh, yes, Jesus taught about this. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34. It's the same idea. He says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You focus on today and what God has for you. Jesus was teaching at that time to live today for God and trust God for tomorrow. It's an acknowledgment that God is the one who holds our tomorrows. And in fact, there's there's a parable. Jesus told different parables, different stories to illustrate ideas. There's a parable that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 12 that illustrated this same concept. It starts in verse 12, Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. I have it up on the screen here. And Jesus, and he told them this parable, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Here in a similar way in this parable, Jesus was teaching about the proper priorities in life. It isn't a bad idea to tear down a barn, but it's a bad idea to tear down a barn with a presumption that what tomorrow will hold. So I want us to think about times in our lives where we use this expression, had I only known had I only known. There's a sense of regret we feel, right? There's like, had I known that was going to happen, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. Or maybe I would have done that. I would have said that. There's this sense of regret. We Because what we do is we have this sense of fear of making an unwise decision because we don't know how it's all going to turn out. And actually we run into this these days. Um, those of us who purchase things particularly things at larger ticket items, you'll see that merchants have taken advantage of this type of fear we have about the uncertainty of the future. And so what they do is they offer us what's called a price guarantee. Has anybody ever bought something with a price guarantee? Right, what that means is you buy something and in this period of time thereafter, if it shows up with a lower price, what do they give us? The difference, right? You get the, So, so it's the whole idea is that we're afraid of what's gonna happen tomorrow, And so there's this sense of we'll buy it today, don't worry about tomorrow, So if it gets better tomorrow, we'll take care of you, right? As if they know what's going to happen. They're also obviously banking on us as being lazy consumers who won't come back, and there's those of us who avoid conflict, and really like the, 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 the trouble of all that. But there's this sense where they know that the uncertainty of the future stops us from making decisions today. So James here is reminding us that there's no such guarantee, there's a guarantee maybe how you spend your money with a merchant, but there's no guarantee on how you spend your time. If you spend your time unwisely, there's no guarantee that you'll get the difference back in the future. Because really what he wants us to do is think about what are our life goals and what are we doing to extend our efforts towards them. He's highlighting here how the uncertainty of our lives and how we spend our time doing what we should be focused on is really the things that have eternal value. So he continues to give us a little perspective. In verse 14, he refers to our lives as a mist. A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So we have the opportunity in the area that we live here, particularly this kind of like spring and fall, you'll see it, you can wake up in the morning and there's this thing called fog. And sometimes we wake up and we try to drive in and then eventually the fog kind of fades and goes away. That's the same words here, there's this sense of a vapor. It's like a morning fog that dissipates and shortly it's gone. James is saying that's our lives. We're here for a bit, then we're gone. And again, he's brought back to Jesus his teaching. Same, same thing in Matthew chapter 6. He remembers, oh my goodness, Jesus taught the same thing. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, ironically, this, ver- this word that he uses for destroy is the same word that goes around when we talked about vanishing. This idea that it's gone. It goes away, outside of our control. And Jesus was teaching there, and James is reiterating here, how the purpose of our lives should be focused on things at last. Focus on things at last. This word is the same thing that he used. So James is highlighting here the brevity of our lives and how we're to acknowledge the short time we have here on Earth, and ensure that we know our purpose, and that we make a difference with our time. Knowing that our lives are but a mist is intended to cause us to be uncomfortable with wasted time and restless to invest it in things that really matter. How many of us this past, we'll say, month, but for me it happens pretty much once a week, that I didn't use my time the way I preferred. It was kind of wasted. Like I wish I would have done something differently with my time, it could be 15 minutes, right? I mean it's something as simple as I, I picked the wrong line at a, at, a, at a supermarket, it could be something that I went the wrong way, the GPS didn't tell me, it could be something even that I did more consciously uh, where I just kind of didn't bother. I just kind of sat around and, I don't know, binge watched and vegged, right? I mean it's, there's a sense where God has created inside of our beings a sense after you've wasted time a sense of regret about that. That comes from him. Because he is a person who's given us purpose and desires for us to redeem our time and to redeem our, our, our resources as well. So he goes to explain how that looks like. In verse 15, he continues on to go to explain how the result of the brevity of our lives, he says instead, if it is the Lord's will, we will do this or do that. And he starts this whole idea of if, if, with this word Instead. It's a very fascinating word that he uses. It's actually a word that means kind of instead of this, like there is a choice. There's two choices you can have. You can do this or do that. And it's not like beef or chicken. right? This is like there's something that you could be doing and there's something that you are doing. And in fact, he uses the same word. He, remember he, used, he remembered Jesus because he was he walked with Jesus. He was in his disciples and he remembers Jesus talking about the same word instead. And he remembers, oh yeah, Jesus used this word in Luke chapter 11. He says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? So there's this contrast of good choices and bad choices, good gifts and bad gifts. So he's saying, like, look, we can spend our time in a way, or instead, we can say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And when we say that, James is using this word here to kind of acknowledge that plans without God are really useless. We're gonna end up being futile. And instead, we had to acknowledge God and seek his wisdom for all of our plans. Now, James again wasn't just familiar with Jesus' teaching, wasn't just familiar with the parables, but really was familiar with the entirety of the Old Testament. And there's a man in the Old Testament who was very famous. He had a lot of regret in his life. And near the end of his life, he wrote actually a psalm. Um, his name was Moses. And in his psalm, as he was getting near the end of his life, there's a section that James is recollecting as he writes this letter to. It goes back to Psalm chapter nine, 90, verses 10 through 12. He says, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass and we fly away. We like vapor, we, our mist, we, we, our fog goes away. If we only knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your your due. And then he has this phrase that really kind of James is echoing the same sentiment here. He's like, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Value our time. James is saying here, time is what God has given all of us the same amount of. He's given us different amounts of money. Phils will talk about that a little bit next week. But here, we're really talking about our time. Our days are given to us from God, and we're to value them and seek God's desires for them. Now, what's great is, is in the, in the New Testament, we have kind of a time series. We have Jesus is there, he's walking around, he's teaching, and James is with him. And then afterwards, he dies and he comes back to life. And then afterwards, he's actually seen by a person named Paul. He has an encounter with Jesus. But Paul also has the privilege of reading James' letter, because James's letter was written while Paul was still around, and it was something that he could have access to. So Paul took this letter and he took it to heart. And then when he wrote letters himself to the other believers in the church in Corinth, he used the same idea. So we see this in First Corinthians, the first letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 4:19, he says, "But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing." And he says later in chapter 16, verse 17, he says, "For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits." So there's a sense where Paul in his life began to incorporate this concept of if the Lord allows, if the Lord permits, if the Lord is willing. And then in our verse, James continues with this stern warning. If we don't follow that, what do we end up doing? Well, we end up having a lot of confidence in our own plans, right? And so what happens, I mean, when we have confidence in our plan, we're feeling pretty good about that, right? So James here is talking about boasting about our plans. Now this idea of boasting comes up when we see it in ourselves. Now have you ever come across somebody who's pretty confident in their plans? And their plans work out pretty well? And do they sometimes remind you of that? (laughs) Like, this is how I planned it out. (laughs) You should be thankful. You should be grateful, right? I'm so glad you're here. You should be glad I'm here. In fact, many of us remember there's even TV shows that had had a saying. One of my favorite was... A very old TV show, but there was a guy from a TV show called The A Team. And he, he said what? I love it when a plan comes together, right? Doesn't We all feel that way, right? We feel like I love it when a plan comes together. Like, I put this plan together, it turned out how I wanted, like, you should be grateful I'm here, right? But what we realize is, is that when somebody says that, there is a sense that we want to acknowledge their planning skills, but the other sense, we're kind of put off by it, right? Like, well, you don't know either, I mean, we don't believe in luck here in our church, right? We, we preach that God's sovereignty, but you're like, we often say like, you were really lucky. That didn't happen. This could happen. Or that could happen. Like, we know that there's this sense, right? And so when we come across these people, one of the words in the English language I like is called smug. It even sounds like it's smug. They're pretty smug people, right? They're quite full of themselves and they remind you of what great planners they are. So James is talking about these smug people. He's like, You know these people. I mean, it's not only that they have these plans, and not only sometimes the plans work out, but they oftentimes tell you that they work out. So oftentimes in Scripture, we can learn just not how to be, but sometimes the Scriptures help us understand how not to be. Don't be smug, right? James is highlighting this mindset of independence and unwillingness to give up perceived control that they think that they have. And he's explaining to us the importance of understanding our limits and realizing how dependent we are on God To really even get through a single day. Now in verse 17 he wraps up this whole section and he explains how if anyone then knows what's good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin. Like whoa, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. But I want you to stop and think, this past week when were you too busy to do something? Was there a time this past week when you were just too busy to get to something? Right? For me, sometimes it feels like it's daily. There's something I probably ought to be doing and I'm not doing it. And, you know, this sense that, in fact, what's weird is I know it inside. God creates that sense inside. Like, you really should be doing this, right? It could be, my son comes, hey, can you put me to bed? And I'm like, look, I'm just really tired. Right? Or, or something, can you help me with my homework? And you're like, ah. Uh, I don't really remember that statistics. That's a very long time ago. And you and I, I'm very good at making excuses, right? So these are rehearsed some of them, right? Over time, we end up being too busy. Why are we too busy? Why am I too busy? We're too busy because I'm doing my own thing. I don't want to be disturbed. I'm advancing my own plans. I got plans. This is not this is not working out for me. And these plans that I put together are for me and by me. Like, and unfortunately becomes very obvious to those people around me that I'm just advancing my own plans. They see it. But we can't cajole or force somebody to do something. Only God can. And so sometimes we just get sad. So James is saying here that no matter what happens, we're to rely on God's spirit to give us the desire and discipline to do what we ought to do in any and all circumstances. To hold our own plans loosely, particularly those that he's given to us. So when something comes up, we have space to do what we ought to be doing. That's the kind of lifestyle he wants us to live. So how do we apply these sets of verses to our lives? What is it that God wants us to do? Think differently, do differently, say differently as a result of what these verses have to say to us. So I I want to say that fortunately these verses in the book of James, many of them are really clear and very practical. But I want to start with a question that's actually nestled in verse 14. And he asks this question and says, what is your life? What is your life? Some of you here today, Still have not answered that question. You're thinking about it. You're searching. You're in the process of sorting out the meaning of life and what the purpose is, why God put you here, and you're looking for conclusions. Our heart's desire is today would be the day that God culminates your search process and you choose to start to follow him. Fear of the unknown and all. It's a big step. It's scary. But what's neat is it's accessible to all. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 13. He says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. Why? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is accessible to all of us. If you haven't done that, May today be the day that you call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Now for those of us who have made that choice, who started to follow Jesus, James gives us some clear next steps on how we are to view God and how we are to view our lives. As for how we view God in our lives, the first thing James challenges us is to be humble and admit more often and more openly, we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. So what does this mean? How do we do this? How do we see that time is more precious than we do now? So I wanna go back to a date and time. May 11, 2016. I had a sudden cardiac arrest and died. And I was brought back to life by an AED. Um, men who I played basketball with took this AED. They used it to bring back me from a cardiac arrhythmia and brought me back to life. One of them is, Jerry's here today. If you wanna hear Jerry, he can give you the other story the more of the details. Jerry found me on the ground and other guys rallied around. Um, you know, a few weeks later, you know, I was back playing basketball. I had some medication. I get monitored on a regular basis to ensure my heart is healthy. I don't want you to have a heart attack to understand how precious life is, okay? Sadly, several months after my incident, my next-door neighbor, Kenny Bloom, also suffered a cardiac arrest while playing basketball. However, there was no ED at the Jewish Community Center where he was playing. as result, that, Kenny's still not with us. So why me? Why Kenny? I don't know. My fog lasted longer than his fog. My mist vanished a little bit slower than his. We just don't know what's going to happen. Back to my basketball incident, I just got a text just two days ago that one of the guys I played basketball with was diagnosed with very aggressive cancer. We're starting to pray for him. And sadly, in late 2020, I too was diagnosed with cancer. And through surgeries and radiation, I'm now here cancer free. However, now I have to take medication and be monitored on a regular basis to ensure my cancer does not return. But I will tell you that these life events, even though they're dramatic and I've experienced them, I still easily lose perspective on what's important. I still make my own plans and come around and hope God kind of blesses them. But what I've realized is that there's times I talk about time as if it was some sort of commodity. I have it, I spend it, I want more of it. But the reality is, is I don't get any more. I have, have no more than you do. Time is precious. Life is short. Eternity is long. Every minute counts. We're instructed in Ephesians 5.15 to redeem our time. And we know that God means for our minutes on earth to count for something. So how do I acknowledge that? That's the, really the goal is for God just to think about this. I'll tell you just a funny story, and Jerry can attest to this. So what happened is, is that some men I play basketball with, they went home and told their wives that this is what happened. And then two things happened. One is, is that they all began to hate me because their wives all made them go on diets, get, get some sort of test of their heart. And then the good news is next time I drove down the middle of the basket, the, 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 the basket parted like the Red Sea and my percentage went up with shooting. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that you know, they too are now faced with that same reality, right? They too, even though it didn't happen to them because they saw it happen to somebody else, it got them to think about things differently. And that's what James is trying to do, is give us a different perspective on time in our lives. To think about things differently. To admit more openly that we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. The next thing is, he wants us to make our plans a different way. And I talked earlier about this whole concept that if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So how do you make plans differently? I mentioned this new first step. This new first step is actually called prayer. And prayers where we ask God to help us plan and that our plans are done in alignment with his heart and his desires. We play first, we pray often, we pray always. Now, Jesus, James reminded us that our lives are short and fragile, but doesn't mean we should not be making plans. Instead, when we make these plans, we want to make this awareness that the plans are only going to seed as God allows them to. And he may even have different plans in store that are bigger or different, that he may redirect your plans. And James teaches us that we must fall into the habit of living our lives as if God is an afterthought. In fact, we want to make him our first thought. We want to shift from saying we want to shift this saying, if it is the Lord's will in prayer, to the front and make it the first thing we're doing, by typically rather than having prayer as a last resort. You students are very aware of that. When you have a big test and you haven't prepared for it, you somehow go to prayer. May you pray at the beginning that God helps you prepare well. Right? But our planning to acknowledge God's sovereign power of our lives and leverage his word as a guide helps us develop this deep sense of dependency on him. A dependency that's not a weakness. So why is this challenging for me? Why is it that I still get angry when God messes up my plans? When God submits my calendar to his master calendar and things get different, right? Right? I'm learning that the difference in the attitude I have to have about making plans is for me to ask God to bless the plans versus the attitude I need to have for God to help me make the plans at the beginning. It's a sequence problem. For those who are planners, sequence is really important. Sequence and dependencies. So it's about a new sequence and about proper dependencies. So as for how we view God and we view our lives, James challenged us to be humble and admit more often that we don't know what's happening. He challenged us to make our plans in a different way. And lastly, He helps us to be ready to do good at all times, especially in unplanned circumstances. And there's a word for these unplanned circumstances. They're called interruptions. Interruptions are those things that quietly remind us of our lack of control. The lack of control I have over my life and even the lack of control I have over the people in my lives who are also oftentimes part of my plans. I need them to do things for me. I need them to do things at a certain time in a certain way for for us to be successful. So sometimes these plans I have, I'm unwilling to break these plans and stop and help somebody out. One of my favorite authors, Henry Nguyen, put it this way, you know my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. My whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. Don't we often look at the many events of our lives as either big or small interruptions? Interrupting my plans, my projects, my schemes. And what happens is I feel inside this kind of inner protest, right? Like I, I don't like it, right? Because, in fact, the way that I express this, and I don't know if we have any people like me in this office, I'm not going to raise hands, but I do this thing called sighing. Okay, I just sigh. Just like, <laughs> and it's really obvious in my countenance. I'm just like, man, just. One more thing, like I just can't take it. Like, What else is next? In fact, I text people the word sigh. Sigh, <laughs> dot, 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 right? And I even go sigh, dot, 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 sigh, dot, dot, I have like a single sigh, I've got the double sigh, and then once in a while, you get the trifecta sigh. <laughs> and that means I just can't take it anymore, right? I just need to, I just fall apart, right? Of course, no one else sides, which is why you guys don't understand. But I can explain it to you later. Maybe if you stay after the sermon, I can explain what it means. Because what happens in my heart, there's this feeling of anger, frustration. And I even times let it go to bitterness at that person or that circumstance. How could they do that? Do they not know? And I even get angry. They do know. And they've interrupted me anyway. But God is helping me see these interruptions in my life as opportunities for me to grow and to learn, and to mold me as a sculptor molds his clay in a more beautiful person who more resembles him. I'm learning to start each day with an openness to what God leads me to do today with less sighs. I haven't stopped sighing. You can ask my wife. She's already laughing over there. Um, But it is an area of growth for me. It is an area of growth. And maybe it's an area of growth for you. What is it that causes you, not so much to sigh, even roll your eyes. I mean, you all have your tells. Right of when your plant things are not going your way, what are your tells? Okay, um, I'm a big poker player. I love tells, and so you all have a tell. Mine happens to be a sigh. Um, so what I want to do is I want to take you back in history, and um, actually I want the band to come up right now or the, the worship team. I'm going to tell you a historical lesson about our church, a neat, neat history lesson about our church. So if the worship team could join me up here, I'm going to cue them here in a little bit. But I need to tell the story first. Okay, so. At our church, we, um, for many, many years, I guess probably starting sometime in the 1980s, late 80s, until, you know, probably sometime in the 90s, so maybe it's five to ten years, our church used to, now here we'll sing a song, these guys will end with a song, but before then, we used to sing this song, a song a cappella, and it's a song just from a verse, and I want to read the verse to you, we're going to put it up on the screen, and I want to explain to you how this verse applies to our, our time here today. And the verse is you know, slide twenty-seven. There. It says it's from Colossians three seventeen, and it says whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all without sighing. Right, <laughs> all without sighing in the name of the Lord Jesus. How instead of sighing, remember instead he talks about instead. What does he want me to do? Give thanks to God the Father through Him. What we're saying is whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we've learned to do good in un- unplanned circumstances. We've learned to say it's the Lord's will and acknowledge his control over our lives. We've learned to give thanks and be humble and admit we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's this idea of I'm going to take that Yiddish proverb we started with and i want to invert it. And my version is, is that God plans and we laugh. And that is we laugh with enjoyment for our lives as we follow his plans and walk in his ways. So I've asked a couple of our, we won't call them legacy members, but... To, join, to lead us in this song, and the words are right here. The words are just in the verse. <laughs> I'm also a legacy member. It's my 35th year at this church. Um, very pleased to be part of this church for a long time. And what I want you to do is, if, if, you're, if you're familiar with us, if you were with us at that time, join in and sing. I'm going to turn off my microphone at this time. That'll be really a gift to you. Um, I don't have this gift, so I'm going to turn off my mic. I'm going to sit down next time. All right, over to you guys. Thank you. Ron, are you playing? Ron's going to give us a note. And just so, uh, let's sing it. We'll try it. It's been a while. (laughs) Here we go. It's been a while. Is that what you're giving us? Wow. A cappella. Here we go. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, and whatever you do, whether in word. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You could do that, right? I'll try to sing soprano all the way through. Here One more time. Can you all join us? Here we go. And whatever you do, the